2: You
0: built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid cancer
1: show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there,
0: children. Hey, hey,
1: kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
3: And now the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong
0: with
2: us? Oh, Yeah. Monday, November 21st, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 16-year young adult breast cancer
1: survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show.
2: It's not okay. It's not okay. That's 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. You know, it's 72,000. I'm going to change that. That's not really okay. not okay. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year, so got cancer under 40, Socks, huh? Uh-huh. Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one team on fusion at a time.
1: Tonight's show is all about advanced and chronic cancer. We're going to be kicking it off in the spotlight with Allie Ward. Come on, you know her mother, young adult survivor, ovarian cancer. She's the chair of our OMG 2012 Summit Steering Committee. Also joining us, Tani Bhasti. She's a certified hospice and palliative care nurse. She's the author of Dying to Know, Straight Talk About Death and Dying and the producer of Living Through Dying, The Struggle for Grace and also the founder and executive director of Passages. She'll tell us all about that. And Jenny Greenfield, she's a hospice social worker and a volunteer
2: at Camp Make-A-Dream. Matthew? Yes, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the IMC Young for This Cancer Foundation online every day at stupidcancer.com. We're not your father's cancer society and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard another fun and exciting round of the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is never a cure, and survivorship is all that matters.
1: And, a Stupid Cancer, welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes. As we broadcast live from the Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
2: As a reminder, folks, the Stupid Cancer Show is a live interactive chat room during every broadcast. We invite you to visit stupidcancershow.com, join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of the guests. And with that, it is our pre-Thanksgiving broadcast. That it is, Matthew. Yes.
0: And I'm staring at Mr. Kenny Kane. Well, hello, Matthew. Hello, sir. How are you? How's my ginger VP operations? I'm good. I'm preparing for a nice Thanksgiving food baby. So that <laughs> takes a couple of days of uh building up. Building up, okay. Yeah. Building been,
1: up the been,
2: abdomen? Correct. He's been yeah. um binging and purging on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. No comment. And the Reverend <laughs> Doctor James Manning. That hello, gets, Matt.
0: That that gets the the Ooh. Oh that gets this one? <laughs>
1: I haven't used that game show a sound effect in a long time.
0: With
2: that one? Yeah. We've never used it. Well, then we've never used it. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time. <laughs> no wonder. Exactly. In a hot minute. In a that's, hot minute. That's a good one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, this is good. This is good stuff.
1: As always. Yes. But we're thankful all the time.
2: We are. Why? In our own way. I'm yeah, thankful that this room is no longer our office, and it's the stupid cancer show uh, broadcast network. Yeah,
1: but it's hot as hell in here tonight. It's not that
2: bad. It's bad. It's, no, all right, fine. It's it's. it's it, not okay. It's okay. It
0: might have been our choice of beverage, Lisa. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Should we talk about our choice of beverage? What is your choice of beverage? Well, I was in
1: my local wine shop this weekend, as I am wont to do. And oh,
2: Lisa Bernhardt. Cruising
1: the racks as usual, pilfering through the piles of discounted...
2: Is that what
1: you o Wine. No, I was actually just I was uh rummaging through for some holiday spirits and came across a wine that's called OMG with three exc- exclamation points. So many I can't even say them. Uh fancy that. OMG Summit. OMG Chardonnay. I'm not a huge Chardonnay fan, but this is very good cheap bad Chardonnay.
2: I'm sure they want to know that. On the air, hearing <laughs> us speak it to thousands of people. Uh, no. I'll, I'll have
0: to try the cruising the rack no, type of thing. This is the worst, crappy, best wine I've ever had. No, it it's, it's, our a, it's a
1: very good, inexpensive wine. It's a terrific, it's a terrific wine. I mean, it's, it's tasty. It's called I'm not, OMG. I'm not a, it's called OMG. I'm not a huge Chardonnay fan normally, but um, it, tastes really, no, it tastes really good. And Kenny and I, in fact, it's so good.
0: We're now in the a relationship reason... on Facebook.
2: Nice. I'm
1: tripping over my words because we've had a couple sips before the show. No, that's not why. But we did have a couple of sips before so the show. There's
2: a, so, what is the actual name of the wine company?
1: Text Sellers, and I think it's just TXT Sellers. They also have a WTF wine, an LOL wine. And then like,
0: LMAO or one of those. And a uh, lmao oh, right, right. the Do they have an FML one for the yeah. morning after? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Bloody Mary. That's May the FML
2: Apple. chaser in the morning, yeah. right.
1: No, it is It is a taste. I'm saying for an inexpensive wine, it's tasty. And it's OMG. Is, is it,
2: so, like, I'm not a wine person, but, like, all right, Yellowtail. Higher or lower in quality?
1: Uh, I'd put it right around... In the same league.
2: Yellowtail? Yeah. Okay. Plenty of people like yellowtail. I don't know anything else.
1: It's very popular.
2: It it's, sells it's, like crazy. It's a pretty bottle.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a reasonable price. There you go. It's drinkable for lots of folks. I would put it around the yellowtail family.
2: Welcome to the Super Cancer Show where you talk about alcohol for the first yeah. seven minutes of the show. We do. Actually, yes.
1: that's bad. It is We've bad. We've been doing that every show. I know. It's pretty bad. We tough. don't encourage excessive drinking. We,
2: no. Or, or we, we don't. We shouldn't encourage drinking at
0: all. My Except that we're having our annual patient conference the, in Vegas. The best quote I ever heard was that we're a drinking foundation with a cancer problem.
2: <laughs>
0: I forget who said that. You said that. I don't think I invented it, though. Okay. I can't take credit for that, Jim. Right, fair
2: enough. Well, we have some huge news tonight. We do. Some epically, gigantically huge news.
0: Matt's pregnant with twins. Says I am. Us. I am. No, it's big news. No, it's not huge. even says us.
1: I, I just say says us because we're saying it and we think it's... Yeah. No, it's, it's fantastic, huge, awesome news.
2: Well, we have some great news for you folks out there to share and listen. Um, as you know, the OMG Cancer Summit in Vegas is next March, and um, one of the biggest films of the year for the young adult cancer movement, in fact, for healthcare in general, was a film called the 50-50. Um, it made $40 million domestically, cost $8 million to produce. It was a commercial success, and uh, it really was about the story of a young adult with cancer, uh, going through the travails of being a young adult and navigating his life and surviving, but going through the ups and downs, and it was really evocative of a very true-to-life story based on a real-life story. And um, the young man who uh, wrote the screenplay, who was the person that the film was based on, his name is Will Reiser. Uh, he's Paul Reiser's cousin or nephew, I think. I think nephew. Nephew. And um, he, uh, I met him once or twice along the way that he was doing the media junkets for, for the last couple of months. And he has agreed to come to OMG in Vegas. Major cheer. Epic win, my folks, my friends, my peeps. It's going to be great. It's a big deal.
1: He's really a fantastic guy, and I have to give a shout-out to my alma mater, which is also Will's alma mater, the Hackley School in Tarrytown, New York. He and I went there uh, not quite the same years. I'll let you try and guess who went before whom. Uh, but anyway, no, we co- we went to the same high school, and um, great folks there. And Will, Matt, and I, I talked to Will. He's just a tremendous guy. He's humbled.
2: He's he's he has no idea the impact the movie had. Yeah, which is like I'm not. It's not a, it's not a, an aspersion. Just he literally he works in Hollywood. He writes the movie. He and goes on like a four month press tour. He's about He's been traveling it. for yeah. a couple
1: months of doing PR for the film. Right. So he said he's been in a bit of a bubble as far as that's concerned. In terms of knowing what the Ripple effect was uh, of this film and of the community, and we right. told him.
2: And he was, <laughs> How he was, meaningful he was it, blown away.
1: It's been. It's a big yeah, deal. I yeah. called it
2: the vitamin B shot for the young adult movement.
1: I thought you said it was a vitamin D shot.
2: Vitamin D is for like the sun. Yeah. No, vitamin B.
1: Vitamin in, B is better.
2: As in booyah. Booyah. That's what I the thought B stands that, was, for.
1: I, I, thought that, I thought either B or D. I thought either one of them. No, you get a
0: vitamin B shot. I for understand. Like, for no, 10 I, points, do you I'm know what the you. chemical name of vitamin B is? Riboflavin. cyanocobalamin Someone get Kenny a cookie. Actually, that might be b Or a biscuit, maybe.
2: Pharmacy student. (laughs) Pharmacy nerd. So, yeah, so we have Will Reiser coming to the OMG Summit. He's going to be speaking with you and I, Lisa, as we interview him live on stage in front of all the people. It is going to be epic. It's an epic win for our organization, for the cause, and for the event. We're thrilled. Super thrilled. Yep. So before we get to our our first guest, I do want to mention and talk about this thing where, um, if you missed it, there's a young woman in Los Angeles. Her name is Lindsay Ann Miller. She has a blog called I Am a Liver. And I think she means like like I'm not a dyer, I'm a liver, like she lives. Right. Not like I'm an organ named a liver. She did something quite extraordinary following in the um, footsteps of the military soldiers who asked uh, Justin Timberlake and uh, Mila Kunis um, to the uh, what was it, the Marine Ball. The Marine Ball. Something like that. You're not listening to me. It's okay.
1: Justin Timberlake.
2: Justin Timberlake yeah. was invited by one of the Marines right. to the ball. Right. And Mila Kunis was invited by another Marine to, right. the, to, to, the, to the ball. They both went. So this young woman, uh, Lindsay, put something on the web, basically in a similar fashion. She had cancer. I think she has cancer still. Um, And she is asking Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is the actor that played Will Riser in the movie...
1: Character on a based. Date. Right, character based on will, yes. And her
2: video on YouTube has almost three hundred and fifty thousand views and she's become quite a phenomenon. So she, we're gonna just play the, the tons forty of,
1: tons of media pickup?
2: Yeah. Yep. Um it's a forty second clip. But here, this is the forty second clip of Lindsay Miller, age twenty six, has pancreatic neuroendocrine cancer, and she's ready to start dating again. She asks Joseph Gordon Levitt out for coffee. Will he say yes? Here we go, here's the clip.
3: Hi, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I am Lindsay Ann Miller, and I recently saw 50-50. I think I identified with your character more than most people because I'm 26 and I have cancer. Even though I look healthy, dating has been a little difficult because I'm not sure how to explain what I've been going through. But after a year of living with this, I've decided to get back on the dating scene, and I'd like my first date to be with you.
4: Maybe you could call it my make-a-wish, but let's not be over dramatic. Just a cup of coffee with you would make me happy.
2: There you go. Very sweet. 342,342 342 views.
1: Last I saw, Joey Gordon-Levitt was asked at uh, some event that he was at recently whether or not he would do it, and he said he had heard about the video, and certainly Will had heard about the video, and he hadn't checked it out yet. But I imagine he has by now, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. That
2: would be pretty epic if uh, he took the uh, he took the uh, took the bait, so to speak. Right. She's cute. She's very cute. She's adorable. But it's one of those cases where, like, in this actually is a great time to tonight. The idea of living your life to its fullest, regardless of knowing when the end is, and looking fine along the way. Yeah. Because she looks perfectly healthy, and you'd never know that she's living with this stage four crazy cancer.
1: Right. Which I think actually she does some of it did spread to her liver, if I 'm not mistaken, reading her she's got a blog right, and uh anyway, she's adorable, so we'll we'll be following that and and we will
2: so let's will. uh let's get to our first guest, who will be with us for the whole show, but this woman needs no introduction, but i'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> Allie Ward is one of my best friends on the planet she's a four year stage four ovarian cancer thriver. When she was told she may only have a few months to live in 2009, she decided to stop treatments and focus on quality of life. Two years later, as she calls it past her expiration date, she strives to live fully while living with advanced disease. As chairperson of the OMG Steering Committee, she is committed to supporting those affected by young adult cancer. She feels that it is important to talk about the sometimes hard and uncomfortable issues such as living with chronic disease, and the dreaded D-word. Please welcome to the show, my friend and returning champion, Allie Ward.
1: From Sally in the chat room, is what i like to think of
3: her as.
2: Allie. Hey. How are you?
3: I'm pretty good.
2: It's so nice to hear your voice.
3: I am so psyched to be on the show.
2: No, it's awesome. We're psyched to have you. And, and this show has this been a long time coming.
3: Yes, it, it has. It has been. Yes, it has.
2: We're just testing your stamina.
3: <laughs> You're just wanting to make sure I'm still alive when we have the show
2: Exactly, so the closer it is to OMG, you know, then when we be in good shape
3: <laughs> Okay
2: So um, let, let's just start off by telling the listeners here, you know, you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer um, How did that start? What were your symptoms? Were you living a normal life at the time?
3: Well, I was living a fairly normal life Um, And all of a sudden I started having some pain. So I went to the doctor and I was told that I had, they thought I had like a cyst. So they ran the test and everything. And um, it looked like it was, it could be just a cyst and they put me on pain meds and I was supposed to just go back to the doctor. And then the day after 4th of July, the pain just got intense. So I went to, and this is like a Friday, so I went to the hospital at, I mean, to the doctor's office, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. An hour later, I'm in emergency surgery because they think the cyst is going to burst. They open me up, and they find my abdomen riddled with cancer. Wow. So this is like the Friday night of a holiday weekend, and the doctor that was doing the surgery wasn't a surgical oncologist. She didn't really know what to do, so she removed the cyst took lots of um uh biopsies and then closed me back up and said, You know we're gonna have to go to the doctor we're gonna have to do all this uh you know testing and figure things out and and that was just like the day life just turned upside down yeah so Allie, i mean so it sounds odd to say this though, but was there actually so the pain
1: was was there actually a separate cyst, and then she found all this evidence of the disease
3: in your yes. in your abdomen? There was a separate cyst, and I had had cysts before. Right. So, you know, they, they call ovarian the silent cancer. I had all the other symptoms. I had bloating, I had weight gain, I had, you know, abdominal pain, but nothing more than I thought was like the monthly curse. Right. So it hadn't been
1: ongoing, say, for a period of three months or six months or something like that.
0: You know, I
3: guess it had been ongoing. The pain wasn't as intense, but yeah. you know, looking back, I can see a lot of symptoms. But you know, at 35, I didn't really think about it.
1: Right, and to your point, there are also similar symptoms to what you would get in a premenstrual cycle—the bloating and so forth. Yes. So difficult, difficult to tell. So she just—so she gives you this news on a Friday night, but says basically, "I just sewed you back up, and now we'll be turning you over to." the oncologic specialist. Yes. And at that point, the surgeries, the chemotherapy,
3: what then unfolded from there? Well, I started chemotherapy. They didn't want to do another surgery because they just weren't sure that my body could handle it. I had some complications right after surgery, ended back up in the hospital. So we started chemo, uh, and we ran tests, all kinds of tests, to find out if it had spread. And, of course, it had. Um to my liver and my kidney so then we added radiation and we kept like you know as like the months went on uh... we kept like changing the chemo drugs and everything like that Um and unfortunately it just kept spreading um, all the way throughout treatment so it was just this and i had every side effect i think known to man with the chemo treatment so i was just miserable Um so it's just, but at that time, you just did what you needed to do. You know, the doctor says, you go to the chemo. You went to chemo. Right. We need radiation every day. You do radiation. You know, do this additional drug. You just take it. You know, just it was just a fight, you know, that I was just like, okay, let's do this. And remind
1: me, this is, this all began, is it
3: four years ago at this point? It was it was July of 2007, so four and a half years.
2: So, wait, what was the Allie Ward life prior to this? You had a job. You were living independently. I had, a car. I had a
3: job. I lived on my own. I was a business analyst. Um, uh, you know, I was a professional, and I, I you know, it's funny. The year I got diagnosed, I decided that it was going to be the year of Allie. I was going to kind of start yeah. living again and not really do um, just coasting away in the business world and had started dating again and was really just embracing life. Um and then, boom, you know, life got turned around.
1: So how, so you were taking, you were sidetracked then, I mean, in terms of, um, did you ever return to the, to the job that you had?
3: I kept working all the way through treatment. Wow. I took, like, a week off or two weeks off at surgery, and then I took my FMLA where I did part-time, where I would take off, like, the day of chemo. Um, I had chemo on Friday, so I could go back to work on Monday and i probably worked like 30 hour weeks but i it was really important to me for not to be known as a girl with cancer yeah. so i think i worked harder during treatment than i did like before wow. um so take us up to the point then where
1: you so you went through all this treatment and then you said but the can, cancer through all the treatment the cancer just kept spreading
3: yeah it kept spreading i mean 6 months after uh the beginning of treatment, I got more tests and we found out that it spread to my lungs um, and that none of the tumors, except for the tumor in the kidney, none of them had stopped growing. Um, and so that was, this was like January of our week, and they said, you know, at this point we don't think we can get a cure, we're probably just looking at time, um, but we're going to try these different treatments. And so we tried a different treatment. And um, at that point, I was kind of convinced I, you know, really wasn't going to live, but I was trying different treatments, and I did get some improvement. I got some shrinkage in the um, the tumors in the lungs. Um, and so that summer, I took a couple months off from treatment and, you know, thought, okay, maybe things were kind of stable. They were try- trying to test to see if... if uh, you know the cancer was going to keep growing and then at that time they decided to go ahead and do a hysterectomy because they felt that I was stable enough let's go ahead and get out all the tumors in the abdomen um and then on my pre-op testing we found um that the tumors had just grown and it was everywhere uh the tumors in the lungs had gone bigger and um it was all over the abdomen and um so it was just like okay things aren't getting any better um and uh, and then, you know, I was still doing treatment, doing all that, um, kept trying everything, did surgery, kept, and uh, just a couple months later, nothing was getting any better. And treatment for me, I was so sick. I'd spend the whole weekend in the bathroom. Um, in fact, I just slept right by the toilet because it just wasn't worth anything. And um, come January of 2009, they said, look, you know, treatment's not working. We can try more stuff, but... Um, you know, you're probably looking at like three to six months to live.
2: Wow. So wait what so that's like and there's no reason for this. They have no explanation as to what is causing it to become so aggressive and metastatic and obviously your your entire life is uprooted and everything you've been doing was gone.
3: Yeah, I mean well, I mean ovarian's pretty aggressive. Um it has a high recurrence rate. I was platinum resistant. So a lot of the drugs weren't working for me. So we were trying different um, cocktails uh, constantly to try to, you know, figure out what would work. Um, But basically I was the, I mean, not the anomaly, which obviously I still am the anomaly, but, you know, things just weren't working, which isn't all that uncommon with advanced ovarian. I mean, it's a very aggressive disease. Um,
2: So they tell you you have three to six months to live which is always fun to be told.
3: Oh, yeah. Very memorable day of my life.
2: Sure.
1: And before that, you're getting this news of when you are going in wanting to hear, this is shrinking, this is and they're telling you the opposite until you get to this point, three to six months.
3: I mean, I always kind of knew whenever I went to the doctor that I wasn't going to get good news um, because I was so used to not getting good news uh... So, like the one time I got good news, I walked out there like in shock. But hmm. I mean, I I kind of expected, but I didn't really expect them to say, oh, you know, it's only a few months. Um, and and at that time, I was so sick um, of the treatment that I literally think that the treatment was killing me. I mean, I was I had no quality of life, and I was like, well, you know, if I only have three to six months to live. I'm done. I want to live life the way I want to live it and I don't want to do any more treatment. Bring on the ring dings. Yeah, I mean it was like, okay, this is it. I'm I'm yeah. ready to to live life to every moment that I have and I'm not going to spend any more time in chemo re- rooms or scans or any of yeah. that crap. That's amazing. So so let's let's back up a bit. Were you prior to hearing
1: that 3 to 6 months what was your how are you handling this emotionally were you in therapy did you have family and friends who were there was your family falling apart were they strong for you like what was the emotional glue if there was some that was helping you keep this together
3: well i had a great group of friends from church as soon as i got diagnosed they were like right there for me um you know family struggled and at the beginning I was all like, you know, I didn't want to go to any groups, I didn't want to talk to anybody at Came out. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do and you know, I I acknowledged that I had it, but I wasn't going to let it stop me. So it wasn't like, you know, all about my life. And then, you know, probably about nine months later I found um I two I I found I met Matt at an event. Um I
2: that was a Cheryl Pl- Crow event.
3: That was the Cheryl Crow event
2: of all places to meet me,
3: I know, um, and then Random. all of a sudden, I started getting involved with in support groups um and so then all of a sudden, I met people who I wasn't alone. There were other young adults um and so that was a big a big help um but as as things progressed and it got serious, like I mean, not that it wasn't serious before, but like um, treatment wasn't working and, and things weren't going, weren't helping and I thought I was going to stop, treat, you know, was grappling with a decision to stop treatment, um, my family was just devastated. My friends were devastated. I mean, it was a really hard time. Um, I did start counseling. I started seeing a um, a therapist that specialized in, you know, chronic disease and death and, and, uh, and that type of and I also started going to acupuncture once a week. So those two things, I think, really helped, as well as my support system. So
1: what did the acupuncture, and we're going to get into this later in the show, too, with some of the guests, but what did the acupuncture do for you specifically?
3: Well, you know, I have a really strong spirit and always have. I mean, I've always been known as, like, Crazy Allie. <laughs> and um, I think the acupuncture kind of helped build that spirit up to, let me, to get me through things. Um, while I was still going through treatment, we really concentrated on things like nausea and, and those types of issues. Um, and I, I still go every week. And I, it, my, my acupuncturist kind of tells it like the whack-a-mole theory, that whatever is the symptom that week is really what we concentrate on. Yeah. Um, but we, do, we really do try to focus on building my spirit so that I can handle all the physical and emotional crap that comes up. Yeah. So
1: let's go back then three to six months. You get this news, what happens then when you go home that night? I mean we know that you then decided, okay, I'm gonna live life to the fullest. I don't want these medications, I don't wanna have I want this crappy quality of life, I wanna have a good quality of life but she wants to own it. She wants to own Own it. She wants to own it. But were you there? I mean, still I can't imagine right in that moment you hear that news, like what was it like when you went back and you you know, got into bed that night at home? I mean, how did you get yourself through that?
3: Yeah, you know, I I don't have the slightest idea. I mean, I, my my friends were there, and I, I had my blog, but I remember, well, first of all, I, I drove from Johns Hopkins to a bar in downtown Baltimore, met my friend, and got drunk off my butt.
2: Amazing. <laughs> um, See, it does come by the wine, and the alcohol. <laughs> it does. At the end of the yeah. day, that's... Yeah. that's Homer, Simpson, <laughs> let me explain, Homer Simpson once said that the uh, alcohol is the cause of... And solution to all of life's problems, Go ahead, Alan.
3: <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember going home and and it was winter, and I got into my 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 PJs and my down comforter and grabbed my teddy bear and just bawled. Oh. I mean, and I, I, you know, I lived alone. I never felt so alone. And I turned off the phone. I mean, I didn't want to talk to anybody. And you were and alone? Was, nobody, came, nobody was staying with you that
1: night, so you were literally alone that night?
3: I was literally alone that night. Wow. Um, but Captain and I didn't Jack really, can get
2: you by tonight.
3: Exactly. I, I didn't want anybody there because I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I wasn't ready to repeat the words. Um, and so I remember just kind of, like, and the next day I got up and went to work. But all I wanted to wow. do was, like, pull the covers up and, and uh, you know, forget that all of this was happening. Um, and just eventually. You got I, up. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, I started getting up and and telling people and talking to people, and, and a lot of people had a t- hard time with me stopping treatment. They did, um, I would
2: imagine. Um,
3: yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, people said, oh, you're giving up. You know, you can't give up. Um, my, my family had a really hard time with it. I mean, it just people were all of a sudden. You know, knowing that I had been dealing with this for several years, but all of a sudden it was real that, oh, you know, she's going to die. And then they were kind of like, you know, well, you need to do everything you can. You can't stop. Right. And it was a really hard for me because I I had to defend my reasoning for stopping treatment. So while I was going through this whole emotional turmoil of the fact that, you know, I only thought I had so much time to live, Yeah. I was just... Um, on top of everything
1: else, you're having to explain yourself to the people Ex- who love you. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Um, unbelievable. Yeah. It's just you know. Well,
2: you know, on that note, um, let's take a break to read the news, and we'll bring you back with Tani, uh, and we can talk with Enda uh, and Jenny, and we can just pick up the conversation from there because I think that sets the stage for the rest of the show. Okay. That sounds good, Allie.
3: That sounds great.
2: All right, we'll put you on hold for a second. We'll get to the news here. Thanks so much. We'll be right back with Ellie Ward. And Uh, now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. So dramatic. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. They're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like... Conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. Head All you, Lisa. Oh, yes. Head on over to
1: events.stupidcancer.com, your one stop shop calendar. For all of our social and educational events nationwide, stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we don't want you missing out. What's going on?
0: Well, it's funny you should ask, Lisa. Kenny, (laughs) Kenny. Tuesday, November 29th, we have a bowling night up in Buffalo. Uh, The next night we have a D.C. DC Metro Happy Hour as well as a New Jersey Happy Hour. And then finally Thursday, December 1st, we have a New York City Metro Happy Hour.
1: That's it? Once again.
0: Actually, I take that back. December 6th, we have a Denver Metro happy hour. There you go. Once they again,
1: it's about the happy hour. Asking you shall
0: receive, Matthew. Yes, my, my pleasure to uh, keep you on your toes.
1: Tell us about the forums, Matthew. The Why Stupid don't
2: Cancer you? Forums have nearly 1,200 active members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and sign up today with one click through Facebook.
1: Announcing Team Stupid Cancer, our official running team for the New York City Half Marathon. Got feet? Actually with our crew, feet are optional. Join the hippest running team within a one block radius of our office. Guaranteed entry, low fundraising minimums, and help young adults fight stupid cancer. Visit TeamStupidCancer.com. Slots are still available. I may be going. I ran maybe two and two and a half miles this week, and I only Lisa, have
2: Lisa, I only have 11 Lisa, more to go. Lisa, you can do it. Uh, you can do it. If Kenny can do it. You can do it. I don't know.
0: God, if All I right. can do it,
2: anyone can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is true. All right, it has been one week since registration opened for the fifth annual OMG Cancer Summit, and nearly 200 people signed up to go. This event is going to fill up very quickly, folks. So visit OMG2012.org and do not miss your chance to join. 500 of your fellow young adult cancer survivors, caregivers, providers and activists at the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas next March for the most highly anticipated healthcare event of next year, says us. (laughs) Also check out the OMG Players Club, an exciting new fundraising challenge where you could earn up to $600 in travel reimbursement and even a brand new
0: iPad 2. And that is your Stupid Cancer cancer News. You remind me of one of the game shows, it was like... A brand new car! That's like The Price is Right. That's what we're aiming for. Uh, yeah, that's... that's it. Rod Roddy. All
2: right, let's... We have Tani this. up? All right, Tani's all yours, Lise. All right.
1: Tani Bhatti, passionate about end-of-life issues. Tani has spent most of her 36 years in nursing focused on improving end-of-life care through education, producer of the award-winning video, Living Through Dying, The Struggle for Grace. She's also a producer of the Straight Talk series on end-of-life care, and that also includes her book, Dying to Know, Straight Talk About Death and Dying. Welcome to the show,
5: Tani Bhatti. Thank you very much. Tani,
2: Hey. How are you?
5: I'm doing great. How are you all doing?
2: It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight.
5: Yeah, well, thank you for not being scared of touching this topic. This is important.
2: Well, we we do it every every year or so. We probably have a show on this, but it's, this one's especially intense and important because Allie is so inherently part of our brand and our mission, and she's, you know, has such an, a tremendous undertaking by being in charge of the uh, the patient conference next year.
1: And she also leads the way in terms of her honesty
2: and Right, there's not there's no yeah. like there's no smoke and mirrors with Allie. She's no. just Absolutely. all up there right front. She's yeah. a real deal. And Absolutely. she's back on the line. Hey Allie. Hi hey. Allie. So I think um I think Jenny just called in too, so maybe we wanna just reintroduce Jenny.
0: Go um,
2: for it. We're waiting for the clearance from our producers to make sure that that is her and not some crazy stalker. <laughs> we are so popular we have stalkers. You know you've been successful when you get stalkers. The 4chan people in the chat room and all that you stuff. you sure it's not just James who sort of calls a crank line? That is true. That yeah. is true. It's like crank anchors for the stupid right. kids show. That's exactly what we want. He looks a little suspect. Yes. Well, go ahead and uh, just read Jenny, Lisa. Yeah, I'll cue the music here, but uh, let's get Jenny on the line.
1: Jenny Greenfield, she's a native of Montana, has studied at Gonzaga University, one of the best names. At the very least, they received her Master's in Social Work from the University of Montana and currently is the Director of Social Services for Rocky Mountain Hospice. Jenny enjoys volunteering and working with cancer survivors at all ages with our good friends at Camp Make-A-Dream. Jenny, are you with us? Jenny! Yes, I am.
2: All right, the whole party's here.
4: whole crew. Hooray!
2: And for the record, I went to Camp Make-A-Dream in the summer of 2006, and it was a, a life-changing experience.
4: Oh, I'm glad I do remember you. Do you remember me?
2: No, I actually. Well, I did have brain cancer, and no. I don't. I don't play the cancer card, but I remember nothing. <laughs> That's
4: okay. I was your program director, so. Were I you a really? Director. I was. Yeah.
2: That's insane. That's pretty awesome.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. See, see
2: the, now I have like. Um, what do they call that? Like we uh, fact checking. Like I actually went to Camp Make a Dream, when she proved it. She confirmed it for you. Yes, she did. yes, that you yes. were in fact there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to speak to you again <clears throat>
1: Yes, you too <laughs> His face is beet red, by the way You yeah. can't see that on the radio Excellent, sorry
4: I'm trying to
2: think if I did anything embarrassing that summer I don't think I did like, I think Likely I
1: was,
4: no. I was,
2: what? no, they had a piano yes. There was a piano in the lodge mm-hmm. And I did play And Julie Larson was there that summer Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Julie sang mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I'm, I'm picturing you sleeping on like the top bunk of a twin bed I was not on the top bunk I was on the bottom bunk um, but there are bunk beds. You didn't go skinny dipping, did you?
2: No. Well, Well, there was no pool, was there? No, there's no water out there. Uh, there is a there's pool. There's a pool.
1: There's, there's a hot tub.
0: tub. Did I go in the hot tub?
1: That's where the memory blanks. I the hot know. tub. Oh. Yeah, hot tub. There was, a hot tub. there
0: was a hot tub. There was a hot tub. Mac yes. got right. yes. roofy and can't make a drink. Let's, get, let's, let's let
1: our guests talk. <laughs> All right, let's get the
0: guests back on the conversation here.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Allie, we left it off where you're talking about, like, you went home after making the, the horribly unacceptable decision that anyone would ever have to make, that <laughs> so you're going off your treatment and so you're going to focus on yourself because you want to own whatever time you have left on your terms. You you got drunk and you cried yourself to sleep at, at night alone. What a horrible way to end the segment, but let's pick it up from here.
3: Well, I mean, and at that point, I really started concentrating on living. And, you know, I didn't know if I had one day or... or you know thirty days or whatever, and at that that point I really thought I was going to was going to die and I started putting my life in order um you know I talked to my clergy and I you know planned my funeral service, and I put a will together, and I talked to my friends about my wishes and my family and and you know started telling people how I really cared about them because I was afraid I wasn't going to have a chance so you know, although it was really a, a shock, I kind of embraced what was happening to me, and I acknowledged it, and I became comfortable with it. Um, now, of course, this didn't happen overnight.
1: Yeah, so it, so maybe maybe Ty can speak to also the process for somebody like Allie in her position in terms of. Exactly that, the process of coming to terms, how people reconcile this, what the stages are in terms of finally getting to that point where they're actually productive in terms of you know, preparing for the potential end of their lives.
5: Right. Well, everyone does it a little bit differently. And, you know, Allie's process is Allie's process, and, and she's an amazing woman. Um, I think, you know, when I heard her talking about the family thinking that she was giving up, and that's a very common conflict I hear, giving up versus letting go. Because there is a point that we're all going to come to the end of life, and we have to say, okay, you know what, is this treatment now a benefit or a burden? And as Ali is saying, what do I want to do with the time that I've got left? I think in my work with a lot of folks with cancer, it's a great normalizer. You know, you have to live very authentically. It's like, wow, I'm facing my mortality in the face. How do I want to live my life? Am I doing the things I want to do? Have I communicated to folks? Things that ideally we would all be doing all the time, but most of us don't. We, just, we think we've always got time to do this, and the tragedy is that people die or we die, and we don't have a chance to get that closure. So I think as she embraced this, what she thought at that point was the end of her life, it's really expanding her world and, and getting that closure and living as well as she possibly could. And that in itself has a lot of healing powers to it.
1: How do you, though, deal with somebody? And, Allie, I don't know if you were in this state, but I even remember, you know, for a lot of us, even when you get that diagnosis, there can be just an ultimate paralysis. I mean, there can I imagine there's, and, again, I'm not sure if you went through this particularly, Allie. I mean, you talk about crying yourself to sleep. But I imagine there could be days for some where you can't even... Take a sip of water. Where you're just you're so incapacitated by that fear, and how do you move somebody through that? Ta- I'm sorry,
5: are you talking to me
1: or Allie? <laughs> well, I, I want to know if Allie experienced that, and then Tony, if you could talk about okay. how to Got how
3: to move somebody through that stage. Okay, I uh, I certainly did experience that. I mean, there were days that I just kind of coasted. Um, around the time that this all happened, I stopped working. Um, which is, was a big change and, and I really just, some days I, I never got out of my pajamas and I didn't really talk to people and I was just kind of numb. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of the ways I processed it was blogging. Um, but I, it, it took me a while and it, and it, it it was so long ago it's hard to really remember, but I did kind of go in a daze and just kind of coast for a little bit. Um, you know, while I was making the decision, and making the decision to stop treatment, I mean, it was not an overnight decision, and it was really difficult. Um, and then after that, it was it was kind of like, I mean, it re- today it is kind of a blur, because then it really was a blur.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
3: Tani, if you are met
1: with somebody who literally can't function at this news, how do you work them through it?
5: I let them find their own pathway. You know, I'm going to facilitate. For me, it would be disrespectful to say you've got to do it in this fashion, and this timing, because you've got to allow for days where she's going to feel positive and alive and days where she's going to be immobilized and not have an expectation that she has to be one way or the other. For me, as a nurse working with anybody, as they're dealing with end of life, I want to know what are your biggest fears, what are your concerns, do you want to know what to expect? Because there's a lot of fear and mystery and taboo around the dying process. A lot of people don't know what that is, including healthcare professionals. And that's why I've been doing my work to try and normalize and talk about here's how your body's going to take care of you. Because once people know and they know how to manage that, then that frees up the energy that's so tied up in that fear that now they have more energy to do other things to prepare because they know what's going to happen they know what their resources are and they know that they can manage that
2: so let, let's k- kick it over to jenny now because jenny you obviously you work in hospice you work in the young adult population to make a dream you know ally is a young adult this is not hospice for a geriatric which is a very different situation you know what has been your experience in 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 coaching young adults if you have any or what's your advice to young adults who face you know, these these scenarios that you're in such a very different part of your life when, when this comes into play.
4: Uh, you're right, you do. Um, it's, it's completely different in the hospice process with the young adults because um, they have to really work through what they're going to miss. You know, with an older patient, they've lived their life, they feel like they're ready to go, it seems natural, but with these young adults it's not a natural process. It's really hard for us to reconcile that. And so it's working with the young adults to work through, you know, I'm not going to be able to see this or do this, and how can I feel at peace with that um, and understand that and still kind of live with what I have left with some joy and some dignity, um, if that's making sense.
3: That's a really good point because I, I mean, I I really went through self-mourning. Is what I call it. I mean, or self-grieving because of what I was going to miss, um, or at least what I thought I was going to miss. And you know, some of my biggest struggles was watching my ne- not being able to watch my nephews grow up, or you know, not realizing some of my dreams, or you know, and things like that. And that was really a struggle.
1: So, Allie, tell us about. I mean, the steps that you took then once you decided, you know, I, I want to have the best quality of life in terms of where you then wanted to move forward with your life?
3: Well, I was I was really about doing what I wanted to do, and I guess I became a very selfish person. But if I didn't want to Rightfully do it, so, though, if, if I didn't want to do it, I didn't do it. And I learned to say no, um, and I, you know, I went to Starbucks every day and you know splurged on <laughs> on some things and. Uh, that
2: was pre-Trenta.
3: Um, I'm sorry.
2: That was pre the Trenta side.
3: Yes, it was. But they knew me by sight. As soon as I walked <laughs> in the door, they started my drink. Um, but I I I did try to find things that was going to be fulfilling for me, and, and that's when I first found Can't Make a Dream and met Jenny, and um, I I tried to plan for things. To look forward to you know and maybe and i at that time i wouldn't plan more than 30 days out but it was kind of like okay what can i have in two weeks to look forward to so maybe it was going on a retreat or maybe it was having time with my family or or things like that but that to, to find something that was going to give me joy while i was still struggling with the everyday you know uh, medical crap and and those types of things
1: and let's talk about also your family and how those then began to respond to you. Because I'm assuming, you know, what, what did it take for them to finally come around, and was there sort of a lasting conflict there, or did everybody just kind of see, okay, we're on board with this?
3: Well, I, I think it took some time. Um, they, I mean, we had, like, a big family meeting, um, which was really tough because I was, like, totally on the hot spot.
0: And Did they call it
1: or you called it? They called it. They called a family meeting. They like, called a. Would they stuff? thought they were going to do like an intervention for you
3: to say to put you back on treatment? I I, th- I think they kind of thought it was.
2: That's like yeah. a Bravo TV show waiting to happen.
3: <laughs> I would not recommend it. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, they they it was hard for them. I mean, at the time I was living still living alone. I mean, I now live with my parents, but I was still living alone. So I mean, they like we had to check. I had to check in every day. If they didn't hear from me, they were really worried, and they were trying to come up with ways to, to, you know, come to terms with it. But to be honest, it was kind of like with my family. I hate to say this out loud, Um,
2: but But let me let me increase the volume. Hang on. (laughs)
3: They, they, they kind of just like ignored it or not ignored it, but maybe if we didn't talk about it, it wasn't happening. Yeah. Tani, talk about that, and we'll get to Jenny
1: as well. Talk about this idea. I mean, what kinds of things have you seen? Have you seen situations like that where a family almost stages an intervention that they they call a meeting like that?
5: I think especially, um, as you said, with the younger folks. You know, they say that, you know, when your parent dies, it's a loss of your past. But when a child dies, it's a loss of your future. Yeah. And that's just really tough because it doesn't seem the natural order of things, and so you know again, my approach to families is the same as I approach to a patient. What are your biggest fears? You know how do you grieve the losses because you have to and And as Ali had beautifully done, what are the small goals that we can do now? because there's still a lot of work and a lot of joy that can be had as people embrace the end of their life too and I think um Plunky Winkerbean had done it really nicely in a little strip that he had done when um, Lisa was dealing with metastatic breast cancer and decided to stop treatment and they were pushing her saying but you've always been a fighter and she said you know I want to live the life I have left not just be alive and so really looking at what will treatment do for me or what will it do to me and how will it um, help me achieve the goals that I still have for myself but we just have to recognize it's not easy no one is going to be on the same page and there's going to be a lot of grief and tears and anger and guilt and but you in the end you've still got to focus on what's best for for the person what is it that allies needs and how can we um, help her now for whatever I, she chooses I
2: wanted to talk about we we kicked off this season the very first show of the season uh, featured a young woman who was end of life who had a very very similar attitude the Allie had like I'm gonna own this. I'm gonna make it mine. I'm gonna laugh at it the most the best that I can. I'm not gonna let anyone tell me that I can't do this. And her name was Jolene von Millenich. Jolene was from uh, Sacramento. She was diagnosed three two or three years ago. I met her when she was first diagnosed, and the cancer just kept progressing and progressing. And she went off treatment. She went to the hospice, and the entire time she was just joking and laughing and fun. She's like her Facebook status one day was like I bought my urn, and you know she's planning her funeral and she wound up living a whole lot longer than they thought she would they they were planning a trip to the city but throughout the entire time she was just totally owning what she was going through do you find that that's typical for young adults to do or do you see a lot of young adults typically sort of embrace the the macabre and really just become very negative
5: again i'd hate to make a generalization because everything is possible and people can fluctuate back and forth between I'm going to live the best I can, and then have those really down days. So allowing for that up and down is is a good thing. But when people can embrace it and say, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can, I'm going to get the closure, I'm going to enjoy what I can, then that is a phenomenal legacy that they're also leaving for their family and everyone else who witnesses and going through that. So right. it's really wonderful.
1: Let's talk to Jenny because, Jenny, you particularly spe- specialize in hospice care the point at which a family makes the decision for hospice. Talk to us about that.
4: Um, it's it's never an easy decision. Generally, um, in an, especially with young adult cases, there's been a really long history of treatments and fighting. And um, a lot of times when they come to us, their doctor has said, there's not much more we can do. Um treatment wise and so they, they're a little defeated when they show up. Um, and that's never an easy an easy meeting to be in and then what we do with our staff is we come in and we do everything we can to buoy them with support and compassion and, and help them kind of navigate this, this murky territory they've just entered as they transition from this fight, you know, the fighting to not a not a place of giving up but a place of hopefully peace so that they can you know, work through some of the the sadness and then and move on to the happy times before their time ends.
2: So I, I want to bring this back to Adley because, you know, you, you are still very sort of comedic and lighthearted about the the gravity of what you've been going through and you, you like to say over and over again that you are two and a half years past your expiration date. You know, I, I my my question is, is this common? Is it, is it a fair question to ask if it's common? that someone winds up, you know, taking charge of things and miraculously is is still here. Um I don't know if uh Tani or Jenny want to comment on that, but if they do, I'll let them and then I want to hear from Allie because maybe there is no answer or maybe there is an answer. Uh,
4: um I don't know if there's a general answer. I have I have noticed that with people who embrace it, um that attitude can really increase their quality of life and when your quality of life is so much better there's really no telling what the body will do Um, you know like Tanya had said earlier it's it's the dying process for every person is different and it's a mystery Um, and so I think that it's pretty common you know once you finally acknowledge what your body can handle and what you can deal with that you kind of reach a stable point for a while and you can outlive what you think you do I don't know if that's Connie's experience.
5: Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Again, we I think there are mysteries about the, the healing properties of, of the body, and I think healing happens even in the face of dying because we're talking about healing relationships, emotions, connectedness, etc., and what that does is releases a lot of positive endorphins that actually help our physical healing too. And I think that's one reason uh, cancer patients tend to live longer in hospice because we're no longer assaulting them with things that break down their body, but by doing this symptom control and getting this closure and getting this type of healing that it really does add to that quality of life and, in fact, length of life. So, Ali, tell us,
1: so it's been, as you say, two years um, quote-unquote, sitting past your expiration date. What is your daily life like in terms of how your body feels, how how you're able to get along, and what have your doctors said about the fact that, you know, they looked you in the eye and said three to six months, and here you are two years later?
3: Well, uh, my doctors, you know, to them I'm like the biggest enigma. And um, <laughs> they, I, with, there really is no explanation. I mean, the cancer is still there, and, you know, sometimes... I, I want to say, like, it acts up. Like, sometimes I have more symptoms than others. And, you know, I have good days and bad days. I have days that, you know, I feel great. I have lots of, like, secondary issues um, that I medically that I go through because of, like, long-term side effects of treatment. Such as or,
1: could you just, just, you know, such as what are the ones that sort of plague you the most?
3: Well, I get a lot of infections. Yeah. Um, I Because of the lungs, um, I am very prone to colds. Um, I have weakness. Uh, I used to have a lot of weakness on one side. I, I slipped down the stairs and I broke my tailbone um, that maybe I wouldn't have done if I was stronger. Um, so it's just like all these other things come up. I had surgery, I had oral surgery recently and I didn't heal. So I developed a hole into my sinuses and then got a horrible infection and needed surgery. So it's, you know, and I had, so those are just like the secondary things that happen because my immune system is low. But then I I have the chronic fatigue, I have the headaches from the brain tumor, I have the cough, I have the pain, the neuropathy. I mean, those types of things I have on a daily basis, and and they don't go away. Um, And it's really, and and, and I can't say, I mean, I have a positive attitude now, and I've I've always had a great sense of humor and almost a sick sense of humor. Some of my friends didn't like to hear it. Um, Some of my one-liners were fairly famous. But um, I, there, you know, the last two years have been tough because I really thought I was going to die. So I prepared to die. And some days I didn't do anything. I mean, I spent a lot of time in my once I moved into my parents' house, in my lazy boy watching TV, like really bad soaps. And <laughs> and I, I that just, is the
2: cure. And she
3: watches she watches reality shows. One life too.
2: to live is the cure. The
3: Bachelorette. I, I do. I, I totally watch <laughs> The Bachelorette or The bachelor. Bachelorette rather. Right. Yeah, but I, um, I there were some days I was sitting and waiting to die. And I cannot say that over the past two years that I kept with my motto of living life to the fullest because there were a lot of days that I was ready. I was like, okay, this is not the quality of life I want. Um, if this is what the rest of my life is going to be, then I don't want to be alive anymore. Like, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because physically I was feeling horrible. And mentally I was, it was just a challenge. Then other days, I would feel more positive, and, and I would, you know, and I learned, I started going on some trips and doing stuff, and I learned that I can feel like shit and still have fun. Yeah. Um, Dot uh, com. <laughs> I mean, I, sorry, I swore on, t, on you know, the radio, but yeah. when I went we're on.
1: Not, we're not FCC regulated. You yeah. we're away. I,
3: I went on a canoe trip with a group of single cancer survivors, and I threw up the entire time we were going down the Colorado River. Was and somebody was, in the canoe with you, or were you alone? Yes, yes. I had a great, <laughs> I had an incredible canoe buddy that paddled me down the river and only asked. To I tell him what time, what side of the canoe I was going to throw up on. Did so you he hold could, your hair
0: back? <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, at that time, I didn't really have any. Uh. <laughs> um. But so I, there were days that were very dark, and then there are days that are that are better. And and now I'm really, I've kind of had some changes in the last year, and I really do focus on. You know, I have no idea how much time I have left and nobody knows why. I mean, the doctors say that if they looked at my test results and walked into a room with never meeting me, they would think that they had the wrong person because I look healthy, you know, and I don't look like I'm dying. Um, and yeah. I don't I don't really know if I am. I mean, I, nobody can tell me. And
2: We have and, a question from uh from James here in the studio. So, Allie, okay.
0: this may be a somewhat morbid of a question. What are your thoughts of Jack Kevorkian since you've had your diagnosis? Has that changed any? Well,
3: you know, there were times that I was like, okay
2: And he's dead by the way. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But there are times that I was really like done. You know, like and and I you know, Tani mentioned people be the fear I was not afraid of dying, I was afraid of the dying process. I was really afraid of, like, wasting away and, you know, not being able to live the the life because I always kind of was this, you know, or maybe still am, this this crazy, you know, flower child at heart, hippie girl that wanted to laugh all the time and and I didn't want to be, like, stuck in bed and not doing anything. And... Um, I, I watched Grey's Anatomy, and there was an episode about a year ago about a woman who had cancer. It was played by um, oh Melissa Gilbert's sister, and I can't remember what her name.
1: Sarah Gilbert.
3: Yes. No. And she basically was asking the doctors to do assisted suicide. And the whole episode was like, you know, and some of the doctors were like, well, why would you do this? And I remember one of the lines was, you know, they said, you're giving up. And and they said, you know, at some point, hope is too painful. Yeah. Wow. And I remember when I first got sick, I had my golden retriever. That was the love of my life. Mm -hmm. And about six weeks after I got diagnosed, I had to put him to sleep. And I had always promised him that when he got sick that I would not let him suffer. And there were times that I was like, well, you know, this sucks in the society that you can do something like that for your for your dear pet, but you can't do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I struggled with that, you know, a lot. Um, you know, and I think that's where hospice comes in and people are afraid of hospice. But I, I'm not saying that hospice is like assisted suicide, but it really is about supporting yourself and, and dying naturally, I think. And and Tani and, and uh, Jenny can speak to that. But... I really focused on not taking the drugs that were going to extend my life, things that were just going to support my life. And that may be why I'm still alive. Yeah. Jenny, talk to us then, as Allie alluded to, to talk to us specifically
1: about really what hospice is. Kind of lay it out for us in terms of what are the services that someone gets for the patient and the family when someone enters hospice. Definitely.
4: Um, What hospice can provide is we have a comprehensive nursing staff. You know, with the nurse, we have an LPN as well, um, and we have hospice doctors who are always available to our staff to discuss pain control. Um, you know, symptoms like nausea, um, all those other fun things that come along with pain medication. Um, you also get a chaplain to you know talk to your spiritual side, um, and you get a social worker, and you also get a volunteer. To someone who can come in and just companion you.
1: So this is something so, that can be done either in the home or out of the home? How does that work?
4: Yes. It can be done in a facility, um, in a hospital, in a palliative care unit. It can be done in the home. Um, basically, like our hospice philosophy is if anywhere you live, we will go. And if that happens to be in your car underneath bridge, we will take care of you. Um, and so you get all these wonderful services, and the team is constantly meeting. We meet once a week. To discuss your care and make sure that you're getting everything that you need, psychosocially, um, spiritually, and physically.
1: And so, what is your so your particular area of ex- expertise is what exactly? Social work. Social um, work. Right. I am,
4: yeah, the social worker for our hospice. And so, I do a lot of um, counseling, a lot of grief counseling, bereavement counseling, pre and post. Um, we do a lot of work with the patients of work through, you know, all those fear issues, and then, you know, what are your goals? How do you want to do this? I do a lot of the basics, too, funeral planning, um, financial resources, you know, that's, I play those that dual role there.
1: So, so with the young adults, is it first and foremost, you know, I'm angry, I'm, the, 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 like what we were saying before, you know, this is, I'm, I'm it's, it's not fair, I'm deprived of things at too young of an age, I mean, what's the sort of, what are you, uh, sort of first and foremost, could you speak to the issues that you're really working through the most with young adults?
4: Um, at, at the beginning, it's that I'm angry piece, and I, I don't know what to do with my anger, um, who to be angry at, what to be angry at, um, and how to not take it out on my loved ones because it's not their fault. And these, people, these are the ones who are trying to help me through this. that's the first thing that I usually end up working on with a young adult who has decided to elect hospice, and then we go from there
2: yeah how do you guys handle like parents like young young adults who have children? How does that factor into the hospice uh equation
4: um we they're they're all a part of the they they fall into the patient's team, and so um as a social worker, if I can't address the child's needs specifically, I will find someone who can um you know I do work with kids, I have training in a little bit of play therapy, and so we do some kids specific things you know we can do family interventions um, all kinds of just unique things depending on the family situation Um, we've done a few education pieces too for kids at their schools with their teachers um, and how to do like how to work with that child specifically um, while their family is experiencing this
1: somebody's dog is having a good time there in the background
2: (laughs) chiming in (laughs) So, Allie, I mean, I think the irony here, and I'll just crack a joke because we kind of have to and we need to, is that, you know, you, you survived cancer, you gave up on your chemo, you, you're you're still alive, and yet you still subjected yourself to being the chairperson for the OMG steering committee. What's
0: wrong with you?
3: I, I had a weak moment when this stupid, crazy guy called Matthew Zachary, you know, picked up the phone and... And said, "Hey, can you help me with something?" And I, I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> What's harder, Allie,
5: that or chemotherapy? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, no a tough comment. one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. Allie and I meet up <laughs> for drinks every Friday. <laughs> I am, um,
3: you know, I I, I am passionate. I, I, you know, I questioned a lot about why I'm still alive, um, and, and when all odds were against me. And, I, you know, I, do, I am a spiritual person, and I've talked to my clergy about this, and I was just like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know I'm still alive. Alive. I don't have the quality of life that I want to have. And I realized, and through my blog and, and other things, I mean, even like talking here on the radio, is maybe my purpose is to make these issues out there, you know, to talk about, you know, hospice, to talk about death, to talk about what it's like to live every day with cancer and not know if you are gonna be alive in six months or six years. And, you know, when the uh um uh, when when you approached me about the OMG summit, you know, I remember attending last year and and all the things that I have received, you know, the support from I two I and I was like, well yeah, I'm gonna do this because I i don't want anybody to ever feel alone like i did and there are a lot of resources out there and a lot of things that we can do and it's not just really for the survivors I, There's, you know i want the professionals to come i want the parents to come because you know cancer as a young adult is a huge thing and it's life-changing It does it, it is life-changing wherever it is but last week i lost a really good friend of mine and i knew it was going to happen um, and it, I've lost like 30 friends over the last three years with cancer and it threw me for a loop and I I realized that somebody has to step up and, and talk about these issues and maybe that's why I'm still alive is because I am supposed to do this so I was crazy and decided to Work with Matt and help plan this awesome event, and it and I'm so excited about it. And, and it's having going to
1: known, be incredible. I, I have to, I haven't known you as long as Matt has, but having known Allie for about two years, she's off the charts already in terms of succeeding at her purpose. I
2: mean, yeah, you've gotten an A plus plus yeah, so yeah. far.
3: <laughs> and I, and I
2: I will speak candidly and just say that that it has not been an easy task to helm. To work the, with you. We got well, that. to work with me in general. <laughs> yeah, know,
1: we all to, know that. But to
2: helm the very first concept of what a steering committee could be
1: yeah.
2: for an experimental brand in a market that never existed, helping people that never had help before, <laughs> you know, every day a step forward, a new shovel in the dirt where there never was a, a, a shovel before, you know, I think we're doing our best, but you, Allie, are just you're extraordinary. And whether you need to hear that or not, I will congratulate you and and be in awe of everything you have tolerated, to that extent, as a fair use of the word. He's a choreagogue. Yeah, um, because you you are really putting this thing together without me having much input at all, which is good for me because I can focus on other things, but I can't stress enough how much is going on beyond this, behind the scenes that no one will ever know about except for she and I. And, and, and if this is how you're choosing to get busy living, I'm glad you're alive to do it.
3: <laughs> Thank you. I I, I mean I it, it, I can't say that it's easy and <laughs> um and it, it's a it's a lot of work, but it's going to be a fucking awesome event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I'm Holy excited Christ. to I am <laughs> excited to speak. Um Jenny's going to come and speak and um I, I just all the work is worthwhile um in talking to people that came last year and yeah. and and you know seeing the the effect that it's going to have on people
1: it's tremendous
3: tremendous what matt yeah. said and I, more i i see
5: ali as a, as a great example of how people can continue to find value and meaning through that journey i i think that when you're dealing with any kind of difficult illness there's a real transformative process to that And the things that you thought you would never or could never put up with, you begin to. And if we can manage the symptoms, then that frees her energy to say, what's my legacy? What do I get to live? And, yeah, Allie, you're doing a phenomenal job about teaching people how it can be and that you can live in the face of the fear and the prognosis and whatnot. So awesome. Thank you. Uh,
1: I'm a knee-jerk Allie supporter. She could run for president, whatever (laughs) it is.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Check.
1: Exactly,
5: exactly.
3: I, I I don't know that I won to run for president i got too so many skeletons in my closet but,
2: Oh, uh, cool. I'd like
1: to that at OMG
2: that's a good, i got to write that down Yeah,
1: yeah when we, once we get in person My reporter skills are really going to kick in then With Allie, that's a good one
2: You know, So before we head off uh, Jenny, can you just uh, do a little Can't Make a Dream spokesperson work A lot of our listeners that we've been mentioning it, The whole show um, What is Can't Make a Dream? Yes, I
4: would love to Can't Make a Dream is a cost free um, cancer camp experience in Montana. It's just a gorgeous setting for those of you who have been there and for those of you who haven't. It's it's set right in the mountains. Um, And what we provide is young adult conferences. We have brain tumor conferences. There's camps for children, for siblings. We're actually doing a new program this February for caregivers. So it's a caregiver and their their cancer patient are coming. We're going to do some specific programming around that. And we do education, and we combine it with a lot of fun. Um, in the summer, there's ziplining and high ropes. There's horses. In the spring, we go to Phillipsburg, which is this great little mining town. Um, we just have so much fun at camp. Um, it's a great little community. People stay in touch afterwards. Um, that's my plug. There's lots of dress-up and fun and talent shows as well.
1: And it's <laughs> campdream.org. We just posted the,
4: right,
2: uh, the URL dot org. in our, in our chat in room. Dot org.
1: Hey, and then
4: was their there 2012
2: schedule out as well. Great.
3: Yeah. Allie, question? Uh, I was I was asking Jenny, was there a crazy uh, uh, act during an ovarian cancer conference? There,
5: there, there
4: have been several, but I believe Miss Allie Ward um, dressed up as a quite sexy little lounge singer
1: and nice. uh, sang a tune for everyone. That gets a sound effect. <laughs> that
3: gets uh <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't make a dream is gorgeous, and I didn't go to the young adult one. I've gone to the ovarian cancer one, and and uh, you build a community. And I would say to every young adult there, they you know conferences there. It's it's gorgeous. It's wonderful. Um, definitely should look into it.
1: And we should mention yes. again, so for Tanya, your uh, your film, Living Through Dying, The Struggle for Grace, and uh, talk to us just quickly about that and how people can see it, as, long as, as well as this straight talk series.
5: Um, well, the film is a little bit more challenging in that I that is copyrighted to a hospice that I had previously worked at, but I do certainly okay. provide it in the trainings. And it just talks about the things that people have to face at end of life, of the loss of independence or the desire to have a hastened death or not sure they have value and meaning and also somebody who can embrace that time. So it's really just to start thinking about how do I feel about it and what are my opportunities here. The Straight Talk series is about really just talking about the dying process because when people understand how the body takes care of you, it really lessens the fear and it makes a huge impact on the decisions people make. So the book and the DVD talk about not only the, the physical process of dying, but, you know, some of the psychosocial issues and also some of the mystery about the timing and visions and whatnot and decision-making. So it's just a very simple read of make, making it not so um, taboo, not, not making it so complicated, but very simply saying, here it is, now you have some choices that you can make, and hopefully, hopefully compassionately and gently done.
1: Well, that's great. We're we're well over our time limit here. What a tremendous show. We thank all of you for your knowledge, your candor, your humor. I can't wait to get all of Allie's dirty little secrets out of her once we get to <laughs> Vegas. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Talk about bellying up to the bar.
3: That's the first place I'm going to take Allie, <laughs> yeah, now that right I know I, that. Hey, Lisa, I don't drink anymore.
2: <laughs> but you don't drink any less. But, <laughs> <ba-bum-bum>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's all right. We have ways of making you speak.
2: (laughs) That wasn't German enough. I know. We have have ways of making you speak. (laughs) Here, how about this one instead? It's not a tumor. There we go, much better. When
1: in doubt, rely on Artie.
2: Yes. You guys are awesome. I'm really glad we get to do this show once or twice a year. It's very important. It's not talked about enough. It happens every single day, and it's important that it gets discussed.
5: Well, and thank you so much for bringing this to the surface.
2: You and, and a woof-woof in and the background. Allie, the continue
5: working.
4: <laughs> All right,
2: guys, you take I'm care apologize. of yourself. I'm in
1: another room,
4: but no,
2: oh, my she, goodness. Pets get free reign pets here are on alive. the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. pets in fact, Lisa, bite. you had your dog barking in the background two weeks ago. So. Frequently, in yes, fact. exactly. All yes. right, uh, you guys, thank you so much. Tony, body, Jenny Greenfield, and the wonderful Allie Ward. Thank you, guys. Thank
5: you. Thank, you.
4: Everybody. thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.
2: All right, that brings us to a close, and here we go.
0: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets.
2: You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
1: All right, everybody, that's tonight's show, our 206th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did. poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Uh, I'd
2: like to thank our in-studio guests, Mr. Kenny Kane, Mr. James Manning, and our actual guests for the show, Allie Ward, Tony Body, and Jenny Greenfield. All right,
1: everybody, next week,
2: Madonna said it, music makes the people. That's what we're all
1: about next week. Brandon Schott joins us. He's a young adult survivor, testicular cancer, singer, songwriter. Laura Roppe, young adult survivor, triple negative breast cancer, singer, songwriter, and author. And in our spotlight, come on down, Melinda Hood, young adult survivor, uterine cancer. She runs that half marathon.
2: TeamSuperCancer.com. That's right. All righty, folks, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the deck, on behalf of Lisa Byrne, myself and a whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. Good night, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. got to
5: raise awareness. we strive. Because not every cancer survivor's over
2: 65. We're all veterans of In this world, too many soldiers are serving multiple tours.